0: So, we are in our work last week of Advent, and this week we are considering the gift of hope. But, as we close out this week this Christmas week, looking towards our celebration of Christmas Eve, I want to remind you why we do advent it's advent really is a it 's a time of season it's a time of year which we remember the the first and second, and look forward to the second coming of Christ. Advent means coming it means arrival so so as as we celebrate, it's it's a perfect time for us to kind of pull back from all the traditions and the busyness and the and the event. I mean, just it, it gives us an opportunity as Christians to step back from everything that's going on around us in the Christmas season to remember the substance of the season, to remember why we have reason to celebrate. I mean, the gifts are fun, decorations are nice, the parties are are, are a good time but the reality is is that underneath those are in and of themselves they are empty there's nothing to them they're here today and gone tomorrow but in Christ we find we find gifts that are lasting in fact the reason that i appreciate advent so much is that or at least in part one of the reasons i appreciate it so much is that it truly it it causes us to think not just about the the gift of Christ although he is the gift that has been given but we're also given an opportunity that we're able to consider the gifts that come with Him. So, so when you open or when you receive Him as, uh, as, as your, as a gift to you, there, there are many gifts that, that come with that. Like there's, the batteries are already included kind of thing, right? That's already, you're, you're already able to experience it and enjoy it. And so, so that's what we've really been focusing on is, is the gifts that come in Christ that, that by themselves that if we search after these things, hope, love, joy peace if we search after these things by themselves we'll we 'll miss them and we 'll miss Christ, but if we pursue Christ, we receive these things and that 's that 's what we 've been celebrating this year, so the gift of hope it 's that it's that confident expectation that there is a better day coming that something good is coming it 's not based on some emotional or optimistic perspective it 's not some it 's not some personality trait whether you see a Glass half full or half empty is, it's a confidence in tomorrow because we have been given Christ. Come what may today, Christ owns our tomorrow. Like, He owns it. He's, He's already there. He already knows what's happening. there's, there's that's hope. That's a real expectation that what He has for us tomorrow will not undo us. And that ultimately, in the end, He has us. He has our lives. And the, the so we have the gift of hope. We have the gift of love every one of us like hope every one of us long to uh, to to experience love we long to be loved and we seek love out in all kinds of places if you remember i told you this i referred you to the song in the wrong places maybe but that we do we seek love in all kinds of places but but in christ we see that we have been loved Uh, that's what we saw that's what we celebrate That God has loved us in Christ perfectly, humbly, tenderly, permanently, completely, powerfully, divinely, beneficially, unconditionally, and proactively. He has loved us from every facet of the diamond. He has loved us from every degree of the circle. He has loved us at every point of the compass. He has loved us. There's no place in our lives, no piece of us that He hasn't ultimately loved us in Christ. You are loved. We get to celebrate that we get to enjoy that in fact that's the that that leads us to this next gift that we celebrate the gift of joy the, the gift of of happiness we actually get to be happy we have the corner on the market for happiness in Christ he truly is the substance of joy he truly is the reason to be happy and and who doesn't want to be happy i mean we all pursue happiness in fact if if you think about why people want to be loved it's because they want to feel happy if, if, if you think about why people look forward to better days that are coming, it's because they're not typically happy today and think they'll be happy then. We want happiness. We long for happiness. It's a base desire. And in these gifts, in the gift of Christ, our base needs, our base desires are met. And each week as we've come together studying these and celebrating these, we've, we've studied out of the book of Isaiah. In fact, we'll do that again today. Not, not in a particular passage. We're going to get an overview of his prophecy. But today, just like these, we'll see that that this gift of peace, it's one we all long for. Every one of us long to have a life without trouble and difficulty. And we even try to achieve it in our own power. But we will only ever truly experience peace through God's work in Jesus Christ. It's the gift we receive through Christ. We will only find peace in life when we have found peace with Christ. I'm just telling you, that's, that's the point of the whole day. Everything I'm going to say from here on out is to, to bolster this point. Every verse we're going to look at is, to, is going to demonstrate this point. Our peace in life comes in finding peace with Christ. Maybe you've heard it said another way. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Not I hope we're good. She's telling me it's up there. Like, I could say that all day long and it wouldn't make sense, but if you can see it, it it's obviously better. It's a great It's a great thing to put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt, you know, maybe just to have a... a, a piece. There is real biblical truth being conveyed in this this simple little message. But we come to know peace when we come to know Christ. And when we don't know, or when we have no Christ, we have no peace. This is a reality. And, and and ultimately we can try all we want. We can try all we want. And we might be able to accomplish some things. But we'll never find our hearts satisfied with peace like we will when we find Christ. Now, let's think about this. What are the ways we seek peace? In fact, I, I just, I'll say this. As I searched and, and, and as I did research this week, I was I was out on Google asking it questions about peace and trying to figure out what a popular perspective is on peace. And there is no end of perse- perspectives about this. None. I, I mean, it is crazy. Like one person has six steps to have peace. One, se- one person t- told me, if you give up these eight things, you'll have peace. Um, Eckhart Tolle has this whole mystical ex- expectation. I mean, the, the, the Deepak Chopra, all these people, They Oprah Winfrey, they, they, they have ideas about how to get peace. And it's all about the things we do. Every one of them were things that we do, and the things that we change. Things that we change, like we 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 seek to change our circumstances, right? If you don't like your circumstance, you just find another one. So you move someplace, or you or or you, or you change jobs, or you you find some way to change the circumstances that you're existing. And I saw on Facebook this week, it was a student's uh, Facebook feed. It was. Something they had posted, I don't I don't remember who it was, it's somebody in the church, but so if it's you, I'm not trying to pick on you, is why I'm saying that. But it said study tip. Get up, period, go for a walk, period, go to the airport, period, climb on a plane, period, never come back, period. Study tip. See, that's the idea. So, and it's it's in jest. Obviously, you know that's that's a joke. Some somebody, somebody making light of the the tensions and stress. But but there really is a reality of the fact that we seek to change our circumstances. And and when it's difficult, we we try to do different things, the path of least resistance. We when we when we try to change our circumstances, we're seeking to control them. And sometimes we do that by trying to change the rules that we play by. The rules that we follow, right? And, and and here's what happens. is so we make these rules then to follow and we expect everybody else to follow them too. And So we try to legislate these things. There's no legislation that's going to bring this kind of peace. But certainly, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make legislation. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have our leaders out there making laws for us. Absolutely, we should. But if we get the laws just right... Let's just pick, 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 there's a huge debate in our country right now. So, one's, one's between like the conservatives and one's between the, uh, it, it's between the conservatives and the liberals. And, and if we just, if we get all the laws right about guns, then we'll quit seeing people die. Or at least in a mass way. And I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm not saying we shouldn't do something. I'm not an NRA person. I don't own a gun. I, 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 don't, I, I just don't. I, I don't. I'm not scared of them. I, I just don't own one. I don't necessarily need a right to own a gun. Couldn't care less, honestly, about whether or not I get to own a gun. If you appreciate that right, I'm, I'm not trying to come against you. and I'm not, if, if, you're, if you're for gun legislation, I'm not trying to come against you. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm simply trying to say is that people are going to still get killed. Peace is not the result of legislation because legislation doesn't change the hearts of the sinful people that kill people. Should we try? Absolutely. But whether, whether Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton wins is not the determination of whether we experience peace. It's the reality. We try to change people. So, so we expect legislation. And we, we try to change legislation and, and experience peace. We, we expect people to follow that. And, and so we seek to control them you know what it leads to when you seek to control people and change them by giving them rules to follow. If you're married, you know what it leads to when you try to change the people that you live with by giving them a rule to follow and then they don't follow it. Does that lead to peace? No. It leads to frustration. And then when those people don't measure up to our expectation, we just... Hey, we just try to change relationships. So this was actually one of the one of the self-help gurus that's out there. I can't remember his name. I never heard of him before. But he writes a blog. He's written a book about how to be happy and how to find peace. And and in in his eight things that you set aside or that you give up to find peace, one of them is people. Like if people make you feel bad, you just walk away from them. Like cut them off. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But pretty soon you'll be all alone. Because probably you're the only person you really like that much to be able to stay around for very long. That's most of us anyway. I'm not, I'm not, we're always going to be finding something about someone that, that bugs us. You know why? Because we're all broken, <laughs> just like you. The one thing we're guaranteed to, to, to deal with, to experience in every relationship that we that we that we have on this earth, one thing that we will all get to deal with is another person's sin nature. Right, the baggage of another person's sin is going to be a reality that you deal with, regardless of who they are. Always, you will always be seeking to love them and, and, and seeing that love cover a multitude of sins. It's it's the reality of it. It's where where we are. We, what if Jesus had just given Like, well, they they annoy me so they make me feel negative. Done. Let's change relationships. What apostles would? I mean, they ha- they didn't have a chance. And We try to change ourselves. See, most of us can, are self-aware enough. Most of us are self-aware enough that, that the problem's not always out there, but it's often in here. And so we seek to change ourselves. Well, I'm just going to be a better person. And so here, here we are. So, so we're, we're coming up on New Year's. Boy, next year I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm gonna be at church every Sunday. I'm gonna be the most faithful community group attendee. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be all in. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna change myself. The, the problem is that we can't change ourselves. None of us have it in us, none of us have the power in and of ourselves. The power is not in here. The power, it, it, it moves in here. It comes to us. But we will only find peace in this life when we have found peace with Christ. You see, that's the hope we have. That's the hope that Isaiah provided for us as he wrote his prophetic, uh, his, his prophecy. All the way through, there is a thread of the promise of peace from, from start to finish. From in, in Isaiah chapter 1 all the way to Isaiah chapter 66, there's a thread that runs that God is promising peace. He is promising peace, not by what you do, but by what He is going to, to do for you. He is going to do it on your half. You see, there is hope. We are loved. And God has promised not just to provide joy, but also peace. This is what we have to celebrate. This is what Advent is about. We, a people who are responsible for our own lack of peace, really have the hope of lasting, real, enduring peace. And the peace that God provides. I mean, just consider this. Why is it that peace escapes us. Why? Well, I think we see it exemplified in Isaiah chapter 1, and we're not going to read it all, I'm, I'm going to give you a summary, but Isaiah opens his, his prophetic writing, he opens his prophetic book with, with a condemnation of the nation of, 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 Judah, of Israel, and, and, and he is telling them, you have sinned. You have sinned against God. And the truth is, is that while he's writing specifically to them, that's true of us too. You see, you can trace it all the way back in the Bible. You can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 1 through 3. That's where our problem originates. God creates, and everything he created, he sees it as good. He sees it as good. Every day is like he did it, he sees it's good. He comes to day six and he creates the man. And, and, and puts the man in a garden and he brings the, the animals in front of the man. He tells, he, he, he looks at him and he says, it's not good that the man's alone. But he didn't leave it that way. Like if he had left it that way, then, then, then we could say, God, hey, you screwed up, God. You left the man alone. But then we wouldn't have anything to talk about because we wouldn't be here. You see, God finished his work, and he says it's not good for man to be alone, and he puts him to sleep, and he takes out a rib, and he forms a woman, and brings the woman to the man, and the man celebrates. Because all of a sudden, he's not alone in the world, and we see the first marriage, and we see the beginning, and the foundations of culture and relationship. And chapter 2 ends in what I always thought was the weirdest of ways. I mean, I'm like, why is this in the Bible? But it says they were naked without shame. Why did I need to know that? Because there was no hiding. There was no division. There was no one seeking to take advantage of another person. The man wasn't looking at the woman as if she was some some way that he could fulfill his selfish desires. The woman wasn't looking at the man as if in some way that he he could take care of her needs. They were together without shame. They were intimate and they were close and there was no hiding involved. It's a beautiful picture of what God intended for our relationships to be. There was peace. Enters chapter 3, the serpent comes to the woman and he tempts her and he lies to her and she believes his lie. She eats the fruit that she'd been told she shouldn't eat. Adam, who's with her, eats it also. And the very first tangible expression or the very first tangible consequence of their sin was not between them and God, but between one another. Where chapter 2 leaves them naked without shame, chapter 3 begins as a result of their sin with the idea, with, with this reality, they saw they were naked and they made clothes out of leaves. And, and, and what that shows us is in their own power, by their own way, they tried to fix their problem. You guys get that leaves don't make good clothes, right? They were powerless to truly clothe themselves. But the division that sin had brought had been wrought between them. No longer together, no longer without shame, and now divided, hiding, covering up. And, and, and then while, while, while it wasn't the first tangible expression, we know there's a reality that their, their, their relationship with the Lord had drastically changed and we get a glimpse of how drastically it had changed. When they hear Him in the garden in the cool of the evening, they don't run to Him seeking to be with the God who'd created them. They hide. I don't know what that looks like for them in the garden. I always picture them standing out behind like big elephant leaves. You know, I don't know if that's right or not, but like peeking out behind the elephant leaves, trying to make sure that they stayed hidden. And it didn't work. And God comes to them, and in chapter 3, He lays out a curse. And so in part, we can see that God is, God is the one that brings the curse. He says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. He's doing that. And then he says to the woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth. And by the way, your desire is going to be for your husband and he is going to rule over you. And it's, at first it sounds like, oh, that's, that's kind of good. I do desire my husband. I like, I really want my husband to be near me. That's not what it means. See, that same exact phrase is used when it talks about sin desiring to, to, to rule Cain. Wives, you, as a result of sin, will not live as a partner, a complementary partner as you were intended to. You will seek to rule your husband, but he will rule over you. He will overpower you. That's been a reality of our our world ever since, and women have been treated horribly as a result of a a man who is physically stronger, as men who were physically stronger. And treated as second-class citizens, not given rights. Isaiah is speaking of Israel, but brothers and sisters, this is true of us. And husbands, when he looked at you, he said to you, he said to Adam, he, he says, by the sweat of your brow, your work is going to become toil. You're going to strive to cultivate the earth. You're going to strive to do things, and it's not going to be fruitful. It's going to bring, it's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. Oh, yeah, there's things that are going to come out of your work. There's things that are going to happen when you go and do your work, but you're not going to be able to enjoy them. They're going to be harmful and hurtful to you. Tell me we don't feel the weight of that still today. You see, God did this work. He removed peace from our lives because we were sinners. The consequence of our sin is that we don't have peace. And as hard as we try... As hard as we try, we like Israel have no hope of making it happen on our own. But, but here's what's beautiful about this. Isaiah chapter one ends with a glimmer of hope. You see, he says that, that there's a remnant left. And he begins to talk about how he is going to change them, how he's going to do a work in them and change them from faithless to faithful. And from there on out, from chapter 2 on all the way to chapter 6, we hear over and over and over Isaiah prophesying of this coming peace, peace between God and peace between men. And let me just show you, back in back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 2, the very next prophetic voice he offers, or the next prophetic word he offers, he says in chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 4, he says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see there's this time coming. He's he's telling us that there's this time coming where the mountain of the Lord it, it it reigns above every every other thing. That every little hill, look, I mean, it's just a little hill. He's a mountain. It's it's a, it's a mountain in comparison. He is he's above, he's exalted. He 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 is the first among all things. He is first over all things. That there's this time coming where that is not going to just be something that's said, but that's something that's perceived. People are going to see it and people are going to know it and they're going to submit themselves to it and they're going to say, hey, come on, let's go. Let's you and me, go. Already we're beginning to see this, this peace that's, that's between God and man. Instead of us rebelling against His authority, we're going to live obediently under it. Instead of, us, instead of us pushing off His sovereignty, we are going to appreciate it. And rather than working against one another, we are going to look at one another and say, let's go together to the mountain of the Lord you see god in christ is providing for us peace peace between peace with him and peace among men and he goes on to say he says he speaking of god he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they here's the response they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they lean neither shall they learn war any more obviously this is still a day to come nations haven't laid down their arms people haven't quit learning war obviously this is looking towards some some point in the future but in christ it's being made available peace between god and peace among mankind i mean just imagine what that life would be a life without oppression a life without war a life without slavery and a life without taking advantage and a life a life without difficulty in which we feel secure verses 2 through 3 it, it, it it's not rebellion against god's ways it's living under God's way is finding peace as we walk in his path. And then the result, the response swords and spears that are repurposed and used to cultivate the earth rather than cut one another. What a, what a powerful picture of what God has intended, what God has promised through Jesus Christ. This isn't a change of circumstance. It's not a change of legislation. It's, it's not a change. It's a, it's a change in something much bigger, much broader. This is nothing that we've done in our own power. This is a work God is doing. A work that God has promised to accomplish. Our next stop in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. We studied those last week as we considered the, 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 um, the joy that is ours. We won't read the whole thing. We'll just read these two verses. Where Isaiah prophesying of the peace to come says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like he's the one that rules over it. He's the one that has authority to accomplish it. He's the one that has authority to do it. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It says in verse 7. like It's just going to continue to increase. His government is going to grow and where His reign increases, where His rule increases, where His kingdom extends to, peace will be prevalent. Peace will extend with His kingdom on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Listen, who's going to do this? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's work. This is His promise. This is what He's been doing since the moment we fell into sin. Even as He covenanted with His people in Israel, He has been promising and working towards peace. We saw this. We see this happening in Christ. In our own lives, we can begin to even experience it now. But there's a time to look forward to. A hope that we have that peace is coming. Lasting, Peace, where arms are used as farming tools instead of weapons. Where nations are no longer at each other. Where peoples of different races are no longer fighting for position. It's on the work, on the base of the work of Christ that God is doing this. We flip over to chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. Again, we, we, we studied this already. We, we studied it in the opening week as we, as we spoke about hope. We won't read the whole passage that we studied, but we'll, we'll, we'll focus in on verses 6 through 9. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. What an expression of the peace that's to come. The cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we read this, I mean, there, there's a number of people. In fact, most of the commentators I read from that would read this and, and take it figuratively. Like it's representative, it's representative of something that 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 is to happen, and, and they point to that figurative reality as being fulfilled in Christ and His Church, and they talk about how our natures, how how our personal natures are being changed, and we are a people who are able to experience peace even today, and part of that is because as we come into the church that we are no longer at odds with one another, but that we are brothers and sisters. We are made part of his family. That we're not just citizens in a kingdom, although we are, but we are more than that. That we are children of the king. And and, and he's saying that this is, they would say that this is representative of that time. Representative of time where we no longer have to bite and devour. We never no longer have to prey on one another or oppress one another, take advantage of one another. And I think it's good and healthy to do that. I think it's good and healthy to, to see that it in part that this is fulfilled in Christ in the church. And that's why Paul was able to write in Philippians that we can pray and we can seek God and we can, we can be approach Him with rejoicing and gratitude and pray and expect the peace of God that passes understanding to guard our hearts and minds. Because there really is a peace that, res, that rests in us with Christ. There really is a peace that guards our hearts and minds, that guard, guards our person. That that even though the circumstances around us are falling apart, that there's always tension, always trial in the world, we can know peace. But I think it's short-sighted to simply look at this as a figurative perspective. Because whether you're amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial, in your view of what's going to happen in the end, there is a time coming where what was created will be restored. Time of harmony and peace, where prey will not seek to uh, eat, or a predator will no longer seek to eat prey, and even the most innocent among us will be, there will be no danger for them. The time when Christ returns, that second coming, that second advent that we look forward to, is the time when peace will exist forever. But until that day comes, we have his peace in our hearts guarding our hearts and mind. And here's the thing. We, we could walk all the way through Isaiah. We could see the price paid for peace. We could see the promise of peace again and again and again. We could see pictures of peace all the way through. But what I want, what, what, what I want, want to do is I want to show you that in the New Testament that this is not something that fell and was forgotten, but that God is still doing, that God is still working out. You see, as we, as we read and study in Isaiah, we see that God is the source of peace, that he's the one that it comes from. We see that, that he provides the peace through Jesus, that he is making it happen, and he sent Jesus to secure it, and if we're going to know this peace, that we have to know Jesus. Those are the things we learn. Those are the things exemplified over and over and over again. But, 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 but because it's still not happening completely around us, because we can still look out and see people suffering and hurting with slavery and war and racism and pain, and, uh, but, but because those things are still real, we, we can't assume that God has dropped the ball. He is still working. He is still providing peace. And it's the truth that, that Paul grabbed hold of. When he pointed at, pointed it out in passage like romans 5:1 therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ you see we find peace in life when we find peace with christ when 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 salvation comes to us when we receive jesus as a gift when when he comes to us and calls us righteous when he looks at us and says you're holy and blameless you don't just get salvation You get the peace of God that guards your hearts and minds. The peace that passes understanding. It is available to you. It's yours to have. It's yours to enjoy. All because we have been made righteous by Christ through faith as we've trusted Him, as we've believed Him. I think this is the beauty of the Advent season. You see, what we learn and what we we see in, in the Advent season is that God didn't come to wipe out His enemy, but He came to take our place. See how significant that is. He came to justify you. And to justify you, he had to to be condemned for you. He came to give you peace. And for you to enjoy peace, he had to enjoy scorn. You see, he didn't come to wipe you out. He he could have smashed you like a bug. He could have have been done at Adam and Eve. He could have turned his back and walked away and let them just languish in their their difficulty and in their trouble, but that's not what he did. He came and he took their place. That they might have peace. He says, all you got to do is believe that. And when you believe that, when you trust in Christ, the one who came, (laughs) we were given peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He sees it and he, he point, points it out in Ephesians 2.14. Not only do we have peace with God, we have peace with one another. The gospel of Jesus Christ rings out peace. If, it, if there's division in our lives, it's not because the gospel has failed. It's because we failed to believe it. He says in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility so he literally he's speaking about the jews and the gentiles so the jews didn't like the gentiles and the gentiles didn't particularly like the jews but they're in the same church they belong to the same jesus they're they're one and that's the work of christ and he's divided the wall of hostility he's removed it he, he's removed it he's destroyed it. he's crushed it. he's broken it down The wall doesn't exist anymore. Why would we continue to rebuild it? But he says that if Paul notices, he's like, hey, you got peace with God and, and through Christ you have peace with one another. Why is it that we don't enjoy it? Why is it that we can look so many places? How then? What is a guy to do? How are we to find this peace? How are we to enjoy this peace as we wait for the coming peace? We can't change enough stuff. We can't do enough things. But we can trust the One who's done it all. Let me give you us one last verse. Romans 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How how do we receive joy and peace? Believing. Trusting Him. You see, so often we've got this list. We, we we go on Google. How do I, man, I just don't feel peace. I got, I got trouble. How do I fix these problems? We get on Google and the, we got the Eckhart Tolle's and the Deepak shoppers and the self-help gurus telling us all these things to do. Jesus says, believe me. Trust me. Trust me. See, the way to peace in life is not by what you do, but in whom you believe. The reason we struggle so much, even in the church, this is not something that the world is going to experience, but God's people should The reason that we struggle so much with it is is not because Jesus failed, but we failed to believe him. We failed to trust him fully. And I saw this week a blog post uh a, I don't remember the guy's name it was some some friend of mine said it was a friend of his, and so I read it and I was talking about this uh, seemingly significant event that happened in a simple little cartoon that probably none of us ever thought would be significant. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Do you ever think that was very significant? Just a fun little cartoon, right? Well, in the midst of it, Charlie Brown is being ridiculed. He's being laughed at by his friends. And, and I can't even remember why. I didn't go, go back and watch the whole thing. But he's being laughed at and he comes to this point of exasperation. It's like... I don't even know what Christmas means. I don't. Somebody, surely somebody can tell me what Christmas is all about. And of all people, Linus steps up and, hey, I I can tell you what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. And you can already picture this, right? I mean, you've seen the movie. You know who Linus is. He's standing there with his security blanket and his thumb in his mouth. Takes his thumb out of his mouth just long enough to say something and puts it back in. I can show you. I can tell you, Charlie Brown. So you know how the cartoon goes. He steps out on center stage and and he begins to recite Luke chapter 2 about the announcement that the angels made of the birth of our Savior. Something significant happens in that. I never thought anything of it. Never even really noticed it. Linus, who's always holding a security blanket, as he begins to speak of the Savior, drops it. Maybe one of the only, if not the only one of the very few times that you'll see Linus without his security blanket. You see, we're all hanging on to some security blanket, thinking that if we just have this security blanket, we'll have peace. Jesus, God, through Paul is saying, "I am that blanket. Hang on to me. Trust me." It's not your legislation. It's not your circumstances. It's not not you even changing yourself. It's you believing me. So are we going to fix the world this way? No, as long as as Christ tarries, there will be war, there will be slavery, there will be racism, there will be oppression, there will be people hurting other people. There will be a lack of peace. But until until Christ returns, Brothers and sisters, the gift of peace is yours in Christ. The way, the way to find peace in this life is to find peace with Christ. The way to find peace with Christ is quit trying to do everything and start believing in the one who has. That's the key to peace. And that's my prayer with Paul that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace and believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the peace that passes understanding. I thank you for the peace that we have to look forward to, the peace that That, that will be experienced in tangible expression as arms are laid down and people turn their eyes to you fully and completely. I long for that day, Father. I thank you that we have reason to celebrate it and have reason to expect it even today because of what you have done in the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Would you, would you help us believe? Would you help us believe? To all these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen.